This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and statistics show. Yes, we're keeping that name for now. Uh, as always, if you have any other suggestions, fire them across. We haven't had any good ones yet, so we're sticking with An- Analyzing Anfield. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Walsh, and with me, as always, is Josh Williams. How are you doing, Josh? Yeah, I'm good, yeah. Um, looking forward to getting into another one. Uh, we seem to have had good success from the first one in terms of feedback, so... Let's get going on another one. Yeah, definitely. No one's told us to get off the airwaves yet, so that's always a positive. And we will start by talking about the nil-nil draw against Manchester United, Josh. Bit of a disappointing result, bit of a disappointing performance when the context of what happened uh, is taken into consideration. But, you know, I think you might have a bit of a different take on that in terms of, you know, Manchester United and the way the injury sort of impacted Liverpool a little bit. Yeah, well, firstly, I, th- I thought the um, the match was shocking in terms of an entertainment value. It was really, really bad, I thought. Where's the one of the Mourinho ones, wasn't it? And, yeah, and that, that's, the, that's the surprise. But. Yeah, it was... Um, I think initially when the injuries were starting, I was thinking to myself, like like any fan, that's perceived to be a positive, but it, it just wasn't. It just ended up killing the game and the first half was over before it even started and things like that. But from a tactical perspective... It it's it seems to hinder the hinder us too. So um, that's something I've I've wrote about this week, haven't I? Um, seems to get a good reaction from that. Yeah, yeah. The, as you said, I mean, Jürgen said that himself after the uh, press conference, and I think he probably raised a few eyebrows when he said that because you know I, I don't think Klopp's in the the habit of making f- things up and, and and looking for excuses, but. You know, when a manager says the the misfortune of the opposition hindered us as well. You know, I think that makes people sit up. But you know, as you say, Liverpool had a game plan, didn't he? And within forty-five minutes, that's out the window because you know Manchester United have had to chop, they've had to change, and they've had to change formation, personnel, and tactics, and 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 it's taken Liverpool by surprise. Yeah, well, Klopp's he's made he's had a few points during his Liverpool career so far, where he's come up with quite a. I don't know what the word is, a bit of a, a mad excuse in, uh, after the match. They're not necessarily excuses, they are genuine reasons, but it depends on how you think in terms of how you perceive them. He's blamed the wind, he's blamed mm. the grass length. Yep. And to blame the injuries of the opponent, uh, the opposing team does sound a bit mad on the face of it, but when you, when you consider Liverpool's tactical plan during the first half, certainly it did seem to hinder us. Um, I'll delve into it a little bit now. Basically, United played a diamond system, diamond system that they seem to have favoured against the big sides. Now, when you're playing the diamond system, uh, obviously the midfield diamond has to remain fairly narrow. So the two outer midfielders, which was Pogba and Herrera, are responsible with covering a fair amount of ground because they've got to support the fullbacks defensively and cover the wide areas. Um, because Pogba's attack minded and he's been used by Solskjaer in a way that gets the best out of him offensively Pogba's inclined to go forward so we provided a bit of a, a tactical problem for them by essentially instructing Milner to, to stay high but we, we instruct him to stay high on the same side that Salah plays so that crucially lets Salah come inside play narrow attack channels which he usually does he's always done since he's been at Liverpool and that that occupies um, Luke Shaw then, 
luxuriant can't move, can't close Milner down. And you've got Pogner playing... Uh, Pogner. You've got Pogba playing an inside midfield position who, again, you know, he can't really get tight to Milner. So Milner was the free man constantly. Um, and having a free man allows you to ultimately progress the ball forwards. This is something that Pep Linders has spoke about in the past and it's something that I felt I felt was important to include in the piece that I wrote a quote from in terms of you've got to create the free player that provides a pathway to move forwards. And Milner was our means of progressing into the final third constantly. I mean, that goes against, I think, the common perception. And I was the same watching it myself. I thought that maybe Manchester United were, were, were doing that on purpose because they were saying, look, let James Milner have the ball. You know, definitely don't let Andy Robertson have the ball. If you let James Milner have the ball. But what you're saying there, combined with the Pep Linders quote, when he talked about it earlier this year, would suggest that it was very much a play from Liverpool and Klopp. Yeah, well, I think there's two ways of looking at that. There's, um, f- from a United perspective, if you're employing a diamond like that and you're keeping your two strikers up high and wide, you are, you know, you, you are expecting to give away that space. That's something that you just, you're just accepting, really, um, as a means of sacrificing that space in order to get something out of your own attack. Liverpool had to do it under Rodgers, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But the problem with doing that is you do afford that space it's up to the opposing team to exploit that. And my point during the week on the likes of Twitter and things like that is that we we very definitely made a point of exploiting that space, providing them with a problem, and then essentially posing the question of what are you going to do then? Are you going to adjust or are you going to allow us that space? And they seem to allow us that space, certainly for the first half. And then that's when, after, after making you know an incredible three substitutions in 43 minutes... He had to adjust, and he adjusted to a four-five-one. That then gives that wide coverage. You're not, you're no longer playing with the diamond, and Milner's no longer the free man. So, although it, it does sound like an excuse to blame those injuries, they did ultimately affect the tactical plan that our analysts had ultimately come up with during the week when they're looking into Manchester United's recent matches and things and working out ways we can exploit them. This was what we came up with. And it's out the window in 43 minutes. So I suppose it's twofold now. Number, you know, number one, Liverpool's plan there is obviously has James Milner as a key, you know, option as a as, as the right back. Why not Trent Alexander Arnold? Well, I've had to think about this, and I would have played Trent. Certainly, I think he offers more with the ball. He offers more in terms of crossing, and he's also better in a one v one dribble. Mm-hmm. But I think against the top teams, this is something again that I've spoken about quite a lot. Against the top teams, I think Klopp is less reliant on creativity and open play with the ball. And I think he's more reliant on creating opportunities through pressing. Now, if you're creating opportunities through pressing, you're then less reliant on all kinds of creation with the ball. Um, that's something we've done under Klopp since, for years now. In the big games against the big teams, you'll notice that we seem to relinquish possession to an extent, but we're very good at pressing, forcing them into bad moments because the top teams, you know, they've got that nature whereby they're willing to play. So we can we can take advantage of that, basically. I think we we anticipated Solskjaer to do that to an extent. That's why we, we you know, we left Naby Keita on the bench, who's a bit more creative. We played Milner at right back, who's a bit less creative than Trent and it's just not the way the match 
and ended up going. Um, but I think Milner was initially played just with you to, you know, providing a reliable option on the ball in terms of progressing into the midfield and the final third. And I think we, we, we viewed Trent as being more important against the likes of Watford and Everton who were coming up, who were obviously going to have to be more creative against. We're not going to create pressing opportunities against them. Um, so it was just a means of using Trent in the, in the right moments, using Trent in the right games, and I don't think we anticipated United to be one of those. So when United come out in the second half, 4-5-1, as you say, Solskjaer's changed it, and it was so Sanchez out on the left, uh, Lukaku on the right, obviously Rashford, who ultimately is playing with one leg. He's it's United are down to ten and a half men. You understand why Klopp doesn't change it at half-time, because you don't want to blink first in this game of poker because you might change, you, you might show your hand basically and you don't know what the opposition manager is going to do. But once it becomes evident that United are playing this 4-5-1 and as you say, the, the, the Milner experiment or just the tactic, if you will, isn't necessarily going to work anymore. You know, where were the changes? It, it took a long time. I think it was 70 minutes, 72 minutes until Jaden Shaqiri came on. Um, and that was for Jordan Henderson. Uh, I think a lot of question marks have been raised about the substitutions in the match. I mean, how did you see that? Did you feel like it was too little too late, the wrong substitutions? And I suppose folding into that is initially the storage substitution. I mean, I did, I really, really disliked our substitutions during the match. I thought we were, they were awful. I don't know what the thinking was behind a lot of them, to be honest. From a trend perspective... What I mentioned earlier regarding Milner being a free man, but then being unproductive on the ball. You, you could have brought sense on half time, but it would have been it would have been more redundant, really, because as I said, at half time, that's when United got rid of the whole three man concept by introducing a five man midfield. So, but having said that, though, what I've just mentioned about the um, the emphasis being on creation rather than being on pressing as the match developed because they were, they gradually got more defensive so that's then on us then to to uh, impose ourselves create our own chances through through possession basically by doing that the answer is essentially to bring on more creative players so the likes of Naby Keita comes on Trent comes on for Milner and just by doing that you've got players who are more inclined to progress the ball players who are more inclined to attack more inclined to see an opening and um that's that's essentially the answer, but for some reason we we I mean in in terms of the stutters change, I understood that at the time because that what that happened in the first half when we still had the Milner advantage. Mm. Now, if we would have took Salah off, eh, Salah off. If we if we would have took um, Firmino off for Shakiri, for example, Salah then goes striker and Shakiri goes on the right. Shakiri's not inclined to cut in narrow like Salah does. Mm-hmm. And he's not inclined to attack the channels. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't have occupied Luke Shaw as Salah was doing. So I think I think Klopp wanted to keep that Salah and Luke Shaw dynamic on the right. Um, and to do so, he had to bring on a striker. There's an argument there as to whether he should have brought on Rigi over Sturridge. I personally would have. I don't rate either of them particularly highly. But to bring on a player that can't run and a player that won't run on one of the biggest pitches and in the Premier League, if not the biggest pitch. I just think it was madness and, you know, the past couple of showings that Sturridge has been involved in, he just offers so little for me. He, he's, he's a man with no legs, essentially. He does, he, unless you give the ball to him, 
to his feet and then allow him about, you know, five, five, six touches to, to then turn, face up and see what's going on. It, it's just not what, what we're after. It's not our, it's not our game. And I, I couldn't understand the substitution for the life of me. And when Arigi did eventually come on towards the end of the match, that's, that's never a good sign, really. Arigi's come on a couple of times this season in matches when essentially the situation is we've run out of ideas and you just throw Rigi on and you hope that he gets us a goal against Everton. We were very, very lucky in him actually doing so. But other than that, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any real plan when we throw Rigi on. It's just a case of go and find us a goal somehow. We'll just throw all our attackers on the pitch. I mean, you see Liverpool there. They finished the game with Trent, Naby Keita and... Uh, Mo Salah on the, on the bench by choice. You know, is is it, it's the club's been getting the substitutions right, hasn't he? For, for for a lot of the season, and I think earlier in the season they they scored more off the bench than any other team, and they, I think they scored more off the bench than they have last season at Liverpool. But you know, it it just goes to show you, I suppose, doesn't it? In a game of such fine margins that. It, it's a ninety-minute game, and the in-game management matters. It is the, the there's reasons to be positive as well, though, isn't there? Because I suppose Liverpool looked like they controlled the game. I know obviously Man United were in a little bit of trouble, but you know the, the, the Liverpool seems to control the game quite well. Yeah, well, I think one thing we've learned in the past couple of weeks against the likes of Bayern Munich and against um, United, these are two you know world-renowned clubs, and. They were both ultimately reluctant to go toe to toe with us. Mm-hmm. That's something that in previous seasons hasn't been the case, and that's why we've got such joy out of pressing opponents into creating our own opportunities. But Bayern, they, you know, they weren't willing to go toe to toe with us. They were they wanted to play around us rather than through us. Very conservative. And United, despite being at Old Trafford, set up like the away team. And I was I must admit I was shocked at that. I think I said in the podcast last week that they'd almost be too proud to do that. And we were going to see a bit of an insight into Solskjaer's approach, playing big sides at home rather than away. But I was surprised that he set up that way. Maybe we, they were forced into it due to the injuries, but it definitely looked like they, they willingly accepted the inferior role. And I was quite surprised at that, but that, that might just be something that we have to now get used to. We might have to now, in the big games especially, this is something we've seen against City, past two times they're not as willing to go toe to toe with us as they were in the past they're more reliant, they're more inclined to play around us play around the press um, avoid it completely and not in City's case but perhaps in Bayern's case and certainly in United's create chances through counter attack uh, and that's that's something we used to do against against the team so it, it, it's, it's almost roles reverse because we've developed into such a strong team I suppose the concern there as well, in general, is that you know Liverpool have set up well there, um, and when teams refuse to come forward and, and don't engage with Liverpool, and, and Liverpool can't, you know, use their the pressing as a, as a playmaker, if you will. It, it relies on on individuals, and you know, I picked out a statistic here that you know Liverpool's most frequent dribbler is Genie Wijnaldum. Now, in a, in a midfield three of Fabinho, Henderson, and Wijnaldum, I suppose you would look towards the 
the Dutchman to, to be the creator in in that trio. Obviously, Fabinho, we know, has, has got a fantastic ball on him. Um, you know, you've written about that in terms of how he defends well from the front. Um, and Henderson isn't, you know, will we'll move the ball quickly. But I suppose Wijnaldum's the one who's got the, uh, you know, he, he's got the, the experience of playing a little bit further forward. He did it for PSV Eindhoven and, and Newcastle. Seven dribbles, but a very, you know, nondescript performance from him. If Liverpool play that midfield, they need the front three firing, really, don't they? And and and, and if, if that front three aren't firing, then you need Oxley chamberlain you need, obviously, Coutinho is no longer there, you need perhaps Naby Keita. Yeah, well, that comes back to what I said, you know, a couple of minutes ago in terms of... Um the way we set up the game in terms of how we thought we were going to create chances, mm. I think we primarily thought we were going to create through pressing. Mm. And that's a that's a fairly flat midfield that is quite workmanlike. There's less creativity in there. Um, no Coutinho, no Oxlade-Chamberlain, no Naby Keita. And it's a, it's a midfield that struggled away from home this season, especially in the Champions League. I mean, not that exact midfield. But that make-up of the midfield. Profiles, yeah. Um, and I, th- I think when you when you do that, when you when you play with such a midfield like that, workman-like midfield, and you place the onus on pressing to create, if you can't create through that pressing, you then have to create through open play creativity good movements, key passes and things like that. And when you're doing that with a flat midfield three, it it doesn't really work. So then you're looking at the likes of Salah, Firmino and Mane to effectively do it on their own. Mm-hmm. They become, it certainly feels like they become isolated yeah. and they want a bit of support. Get the full-backs involved as well, I suppose. Yeah. That's, yeah. The likes of Oxley chamberlain provides that support because, you know, his, his mobility and... I mean, when actually Chamberlain was on on fire last season, he seems to it was it was almost like a baton passing in the midfield, mm. and you'd have a deepest, you'd have a second midfielder, and then you'd have the third. Ox would be the third, and he'd then almost carry the baton to the front three, mm. and he'd assist them in 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 the final attack. But in too many instances this season, too many matches, we've we've had a flat front three and a flat midfield three with little connection in between. And if we don't create through pressing, we don't seem to create at all. Um, and it's 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 something to solve moving forward. I think something that certainly Ox will improve. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So moving on to uh, to the upcoming games, we're mainly going to look at Watford. I think Josh, obviously Everton is coming up on Sunday, but. You know, there's another game in between then, and obviously all eyes will be on the Merseyside derby. But there's Watford to navigate, and there's a lot of training sessions in between now and then. So we'll look at Watford. Um, you were a little bit apprehensive when we were speaking about Watford yesterday. Um, they're, they're good, aren't they? <laughs> to put it plainly, they're, they're not. They're not the Watford that got five uh, five goals past them last season. Salah scored four, of course. They're not that same Watford, are they? No, no, they are a good team and they've consistently gone under the radar. Um, I might be, I'm fairly certain in saying that they've kept five clean sheets in the last seven, you know, competitions. They're currently seventh, so they're, you know, essentially the best of the rest. And um, 
they're just a, just a very well drilled team in terms of formations. They, they play virtually four four two every single week. It's, it's it like one of, that one of those box four four twos as well, isn't yeah, well, it? The two four, two yeah. deep holders and then the two sort of floating. Yeah. Well, it's a four four two that essentially moves into a four two two two. If you like, it's very. That's why. I mean, you, you brushed up on the, the statistics before, didn't you? In terms of the attack, very sensibly. That'll be why, because they, you know, they do move kind of forward in like an almost Brazilian box kind of manner. And, um, but that four four two or whatever you want to call it, that, that they've played all season. The fact that they've, they've stuck with that in virtually every single match, it, it offers two things. A, it means that we've we've got something clearly there to exploit. We know exactly what we're going to be coming up against. And B, um. It means that from their perspective, they're obviously very well drilled in it. They obviously know it inside out. Um, it's something that they're, they're very used to playing. Everyone knows the roles and things like that. Um, they don't. They don't even seem to alter during matches. It, it just seems to be the four four two slash four two 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 from start to finish. Um, perhaps there's a bit more into attacking incentives, depend, depending on the match scenario at the time, but. They're just a very well-drilled, reliable team that seems to do well against the teams that are in and around them. I think Klopp said earlier today in his press conference that he, he seems to have a lot more possession against the teams in and around them. And then against the top teams, the likes of Liverpool, he seems to relinquish that and counter-attack. And that's something, that again, that Klopp's mentioned a fair bit. Well, he named three things, counter-attack, set-pieces, deep defending. So this is, a at Anfield, this is something Liverpool have come up against a fair bit. I think the worrying thing for Liverpool, perhaps, is that the last team to maybe come to Anfield with those three key points were Leicester City. You know, they were very much a counter-attack and team. Set-piece, of course, they scored from one and they defended deep. So, you know, it will be a, a difficult also game. throw Palace into that as well. Yeah, of course. We Although that was a, that was that was a, that was a crazy game, but I know, yeah. yeah, you know, it's sort of it was a close one for Liverpool. Just a, you know, a few Watford stats here. You know, just looking at uh, you know six least shots conceded um, in terms of xG, the the overperformance slightly, um, but you know the the pretty good value for for being seventh, and they pretty much got the seventh best defense in the Premier League. Um, as you as you said, the attack centrally, thirty one point one percent of the uh, attacks go through the middle. Interesting one that I want to point out here. Actually, uh, looked at all the teams and where they attack, and they're the second uh, bottom when it comes to attacking down the left hand side. Now that'll be interesting, I think, because ultimately, I mean, you know, as you said, they do attack centrally more than most teams, but. You know, the second bottom in terms of attacking down the left. Now, that's the side a lot of teams attack Liverpool down because that's the side Virgil van Dijk isn't. Now, do you think that'll help Liverpool a little bit? Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting little stat. Do you mean, do you mean um, down their left? Down there. So, basically, they'll be going down the left. So, it, they'll be up against Trent and, and, and right, I see, Matip. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at their, their system from the last game, the 5-1 win over Cardiff. Their left back was a lad called Messina. Mm. Um, hang on a sec let's have a look Adam Messina 25 year old um, I'm not too aware of him if I'm completely honest I think he's Spanish um, but the fact that I'm not aware of him is probably why they're not attacking much down that flank <laughs> um, is it Jan Matt on the other side? it's Jan Matt on the yeah. other side yeah um, but as I said if the, if, if the wide players in possession become sensible then that you know that, that leaves 
purely the fullback in the wide area to attack through, and that lad is not is not a lad that I'm familiar with. So it it looks like Liverpool's weak link, you know, throughout the majority of the season has been the right side. That seems tends to be the area that team seems to target. But it looks like in this match it shouldn't overly be the case. I mean, I think Pereira as well, who's the left the left mid, mm. I think he went off injured in the last match. Mm. Um, that's something I'll try and get confirmed now. But, you know, if that's the case, he's one of their best attackers. Uh, funny enough, I'll use that as a segue. Um, we'll go a bit technically at the second episode, but we'll go into something called XG Chain. Right, so we're going right into the, uh, the nitty-gritty now. I'll keep it really basic. You're not, um, you're, you're getting to grips <laughs> with XG Chain as well, aren't you? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, keep. I'll keep it basic. I'll yeah. keep it simple for everybody. XG Chain is... Total XG of every possession the player is involved in. So you apply, say for example, every single touch that Salah is involved in during the match, you will apply a value to that in terms of attack and output. And whatever value he's got at the end of the match, you can compare that with all his teammates. And Salah, more often than not, would probably be the most dangerous. Um, so it's it's the XG related to each possession that the player is involved in. I suppose it, put it in completely and utterly Jens Lehmann terms here. It's it's very much basically the the the, the how good they are in the build up to attack and yeah, moves, isn't it? Most, how much they play a part in in attack and moves. Yeah, it's essentially the most dangerous player on the ball, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, um, and the higher the better, obviously. Yeah, and in terms of Watford, their player this season, you know, by a fair distance is Delafeu. He's top mm. of their XG chain, um, followed by can't, Domingos Queener, is he? I think yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the young lad from West Ham. From West Ham, yeah. Um, but he's played significantly fewer minutes. In terms of Liverpool, it's Salah, and there's a bit of a gap. It's Firmino, followed by Mane, who are on virtually identical numbers. And then Naby Keita as well, believe it or not. But, um, you know, that, that, that again... Focuses on Watford's central central attack. Really, they're going to attack us right through the middle more often than not. Um, the lack of Pereira as well is probably going to further emphasise that. And the left back that they've got, yeah. You know, as I said, I'm not too familiar with them. So this is a match that we sh- we should ultimately be very aggressive down the flanks because they they, they shouldn't. They, it's likely that they're not going to attack us down that area. Does it feel like that's it's going to be a bit more of the same? And I, you know, I, I see on social media. I know it's not always the, the best gauge, but you see on social media frustration when Liverpool seems to take the ball out wide and pump balls into the box because it doesn't feel that's what Liverpool's game is. But do, do you feel like Liverpool are going to have to do that a little bit? And 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 basically, we should brace ourselves to to see a couple of balls from Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander Arnold, etc., put into the box and head of the way. Yeah, well, I think this is this is a good little time to bring in Shakiri because mm. um, I think we've met. Oh no, we haven't yet, have we? About Firmino's. Um, Firmino's well, knock. he's. I, I, Klopp's talked about him being such and go for Watford, but he's he's hopeful for Everton. Now that to me, having listened to Ian Klopp for three and a half years, would tell me that he's not going to play on uh, yeah. Wednesday, but he'll, he'll be fifth for, for the derby. Well, if that's the case, I'd. I'd Highly expect Shaqiri to start rather than Sturridge, which we saw um, against Old Tra- against Man United. Um, I think Salah will be through the middle. I think Shaqiri will be on the right. But one thing that comes with Shaqiri's game, he's got a tendency to be very direct with the ball. 
when he's in possession, he's got a tendency to get in an area around, you know, an inside right position and just put in a cross, basically. Put in a, 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 a lobbed pass over mm. the defence, that kind of thing. Um, and one thing Klopp's spoken about in the past, especially when playing these, possess- these counter-attacking sides, is it's very important what you do in possession. You've got to have good structure around the ball. You've got to make good decisions. You've got to pass in the right moments, try things in the right moments. Um, say, for example, Wolves away when we won 2-0, I think it was. Mm-hmm. There was a period in that match where we come under the cosh a little bit. I think it was just before half-time. It was, it was yeah, late in the first half. Klopp got asked about that at the end of the match and he, he just talked about, you know, making passes and trying things in the right, in the wrong moments and things like that and ultimately giving them the ball in, opportunity, in areas where they've got opportunities to counter. I think the key at Anfield, especially with Watford's threats and Shaqiri's involvement, will be good structure around the ball, very few risks in possession, but the risks that we do take, I think, will be quite safe crosses from the likes of the areas where Shaqiri crosses from, where Trent is, wide areas. I've spoke about in the last episode about how essentially doing things from a wide area is safer, really. Um and I can see Liverpool taking that approach into, into the match at Anfield. Just general safe, almost boring, if you like, play on the ball. Um, and trying things when the moment's right, rather than forcing it and, and, and getting getting counter-attacked. I think Anfield will struggle with that a little bit, though, won't they? <laughs> well, if we get an early goal, then hopefully that'll put those um, those worries to bed. But, um, you know, it'll be an insistent one. I'm just looking here. Pereira will be fit. The only player who is unavailable through injury is Kiko Firmina. Um, right. Holobas remains suspended feels like he's the type of player who's suspended for about 30 games a season <laughs> um, he's always forever got a yellow card next to his name just looking here you know the players who haven't been in the 18 for Watford uh, recently Cabasele Chalaba Isaac Success Sebastian Pradel these are these are all full internationals they're, they're, they're a solid team and you know you picked out Delefeu there he's hat-trick and an assist in his, in his previous game at Cardiff albeit against Cardiff but you know, Liverpool are going to have to be wary of the counter-attack here. Does that make Fabinho a, an absolute must-star for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Fabinho's ball-winning ability, especially, as Linda said a couple of weeks ago, in terms of his aggressive forward defending, as in defending from back to fo- back to front. Very good in the duel. Not necessarily the best in terms of going side-to-side and covering ground. Mm. He's not the most mobile, but when you want to sustain pressure, when you want to, when you want to wave after wave of attack... Fabinho is a good player to, to include, especially if you're going to cross from a wide area, as I just said. If they're, if them crosses are cleared, they're going to likely fall in and around the area of Fabinho, so the ball's just going to keep going back. And Just an interesting note as well regarding Watford and the players that they've got. You know, one of my one of my jobs is to basically keep a lookout for players in Europe who are, who are doing things under the radar and maybe recommend them as replacements for players who are on the way out and that kind of thing. And one player that I, I've picked up on in the Dutch league, he's on loan from Watford though, is a lad called Dodi Luca Bacchio. Dodi, hang on a minute. Dodi Luke Bacchio. Easy for you to say. He's say. 21. <laughs> he's 21 Belgian attacker. Um, but he showed up very, very well on, um, you know, just statistical data and things like that. And, for them to have a lad as talented as that, as talented as that, out on loan, you know they they are definitely building something off it under the radar. I think, and the current squad's very efficient, very physical. Um, 
can meet a, a variety of different needs and it'll be a, it'll definitely be a test for Liverpool I think a lot of Liverpool fans would have looked at this week and thought Watford's going to be the bye mm. and Ever- Everton and United are going to be the tough games but Watford have got Everton in the bag there to be a bigger test than, than Everton have apart from obviously the Goodison crowd providing a bit of a problem for us but and the derby being the derby you know, yeah, so we'll yeah. we'll move on to Everton we'll, we'll touch on it briefly just because it is you know, it is the Merseyside derby, um, but, you know, Liverpool could touch wood, don't sustain all sorts of injuries, so we don't want to look into it too deeply. Likewise, Everton play Cardiff, we're recording this on Tuesday, they play tonight um, in South Wales. But I suppose the one thing to look at then is, is Roberto Firmino. Um, as I say, Jürgen Klopp says he's touching go for Watford, but he hopes he'll be fit for, for uh, Everton, that to me says... He will be fit, especially when you think that they've got another, was it, uh, seven days in between uh, Everton and Burnley. So he's got time to recover. You, you know, you, you you give me a howl of anguish, I think, when we were talking about Firmino before potentially missing the two games. How big is it that he gets fit for, for Everton? No, he's big. It's um, you, you just need to look at our performance once he went off at Old Trafford. I, I've said before, one... one you know, analogy that I've used, if you like, that, towards Firmino is that Firmino was the glue in our attack and play. And if you've if you've got bad glue or if you've got no glue, nothing sticks. Yeah. And that's that's essentially what Firmino is. And I think when Firmino is on his game, above above every other player, when Firmino is on his game, our attack seems to click. Our attack, we seem to go from A to B very smoothly um, in terms of progressing up the field and attacks just flowing and and waves just coming, you know, relentlessly. And Firmino was key to that, just just his awareness, his, his inclination to just use his first touch to play a player in rather than taking seven touches like Sturridge does or needing all the time in the world like Arigi maybe will. I think Firmino's, you know, an irreplaceable player, both with the ball and without the ball, and that's ultimately why. I mean, our front three are essentially that at the minute. That's That's why in the summer... We really need to get another top quality attacker in because our front three is so at levels above our backups. Um, Shakiri's up there, and he certainly in the first half of the season he showed an ability that was right up there, but he, he seems to have tailed off a that little bit. That was more in midfield as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Weirdly, it wasn't in the front three that we, yeah, we used to see yeah. him at Stoke as well. But for him to perform so well that he interrupts the dynamic of the mm. front three and to eventually push us towards. 4-2-3-1 whether that was to do with Fabinho or not remains to be seen but you know for him to be involved with that that's some doing but I think since United when he made that real difference and scored two goals he, he hasn't really been anywhere near as influential when he's been used off the bench or when he's been used from the start and seems to just drift through matches rather than having a real influence in, on proceedings so I think you can tell that with the Klopp's use of him because ultimately sometimes you can tell what Klopp's thinking about a player because they'll go from playing a lot of football to not much at all and it feels like this might be a, a moment for Shaqiri where he's maybe learning something else on, on the training ground at Melwood or just maybe, you know, he's basically Klopp's cool as jets a little bit on, on Shaqiri and, and, and is maybe having a look at another player yeah, but in terms of Cater or, you know, someone like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think... You know, in regards to Firmino, just taking it back, he's mm. a player that we we do need. And I think if he was out for any extended period towards the end of the season, we'd be in serious trouble to sustain our title challenge. Like, I mean, it's a separate pod, and it's one that we'll definitely record. I think probably 
in in the summer. But what you say about the front three there, the, the problem with the front three and how good they are is that bringing in a fresh face in the summer, a world class from from three, you know, compet- competitor to Mane, Firmino, and Salah means one of Mane, Firmino, and Salah might have to drop out, and then you you risk you know disrupting the equilibrium and the, and and the bond that they have and. It's something that Liverpool have really got to think about because it's it, it, it's difficult. Um, so just looking towards, you've spoke about Watford, talked a little bit about Everton. How do you see, I suppose, first and foremost, let's go together. How do you see the week panning out? Uh, it's a difficult one to predict, but I do think we'll get two wins. Really? It's going to be positive. Yeah. You said we'd win at Old Trafford, but... The, the injuries we'll, we'll we'll say that's fine yeah I mean, you, you strike that one through don't you, you if you're a bookmaker you, you refund the bets because it was just all bets were off after about 43 minutes there yeah the winner the, the old Trafford was one of the strangest matches I've ever seen Gem- well from, from 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 the first minute with, with Firmino you know not getting on the end yeah. of that back pass and yeah and you know even the indirect free kick I said yeah. that's your area that's just something you don't see mm-hmm. and you don't see three three players come off inside 40 minutes mm-hmm. and Four players, in fact, because Firmino went off. Um, and even from a, a predicting perspective, it's, it was difficult to do because Solskjaer hasn't, hadn't played a mm-hmm. top team at Old Trafford yet, so he didn't really know how he was going to set up, whether he was going to try and assert himself in terms of his team or whether he was going to sit back or, you know, he, did, he had no idea. So when it did that eventually play out, um, it was going fairly smoothly for about 15 minutes and then things just seems to pause for, for the following 75. Mm. It was crazy. So, two wins. Yeah, two wins. Um, regarding Watford, I think, as I said, we'll just we'll kind of play it safe, keep on top of any fires that, that starts. And I think we'll... I'd be surprised if we don't eventually nick a goal mm. from somewhere. Um, Everton are just... Uh, it's a messy game because you can never predict the derby, but they had a bit of a mess... Well, uh, but also, as I say, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. They, they play Cardiff. It's the first game in 17 days. We, we don't know. They, he could, he could yeah. unveil a new formation. This is why we're not really talking about Everton. He could unveil a new formation. He could try a new player in a new position. You just don't know what you're going to get from them. But as you say, with it being a derby, it's, it's particularly messy. Yeah, I mean, just looking at Everton's XG, their XG average per match, they, they concede more than they create. Yeah. Um, and for a team that's invested over 100 million or whatever it's been mm. shouldn't be the case and well, one interesting thing I've noticed a few, one or two people have wrote about it is um, just the, the dynamic of the midfield and the attack because you've got a midfield two there that aren't necessarily pass masters um, Andre Gomez okay he'll find the front he'll find the front four but then the front four Theo Walcott Richarlison Bernard and Sigurdsson they're all very, very direct, very, very forward-thinking. And I think in the 4 2 three, one, you need a bit of volume in terms of passes in those areas just to probe and that kind of thing. And, yeah, and, and Everton just seems to be torn between styles. On a couple of things this season, in terms of pressing, they're one of the highest pressers in the, in the league. They press, you know, relentlessly more than we do. But you do that either to create goal scoring opportunities like we do or you do it to simply regain possession and recirculate like City do I wouldn't associate either with Everton mm. I, I don't think they create chances from pressing I don't think they're particularly possession orientated they just seem to be 
super direct with and without the ball, super aggressive with and without the ball, and not in a good way. Mm. It's just a really strange team to pin down at the minute, and obviously they conceded some from set pieces. I mean, you hope that he hasn't sorted that out because, yeah. I mean, although you would hope, I suppose, that I Joel, Joel Matisse has been figuring out how to put one of his headers on target from corners. Yeah. He's done it once against Southampton this season, but a second would be nice on Sunday, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's something that wouldn't surprise me if, if we've worked on that mm. to, to some extent because, you know, they're the types of the 1%, I like to call them. They're, they're, that's the kind of thing we've become obsessed with since, you know, the likes of Klopp and Michael Edwards and things like that, all about the 1% throw-ins throwing coaches, nutrition, things like that, everything. Just covering every area, really. And if you're facing a team that's so bad at defending set pieces in a tough away match, you know, that's that's a potential gain there. Yeah, marginal gains. Thanks very much for your time, Josh. Uh, hope you've enjoyed the second episode. Uh, we'll be back possibly next week, hopefully next week. Um, if not, it'll, it'll be the week after. We'll sort something else. I'm actually going down to, uh, to sunny Birmingham next week, but we'll sort something else, I'm sure. Uh, always bring your feedback, bring your name suggestions. I quite like analysing Anfield now. It's starting to, to, to grow on me a little bit. Uh, I'm Christian Walsh. That was Josh Williams, and uh, have a great weekend. And here's to hopefully six points for the Reds. Take care. Bye now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.